Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. That was strong, that was powerful, that was good. It's a blessing and joy that we have to be gathered today in worship, whether we're here in the sanctuary or online or just in our hearts. There are folks who are going to be watching the video of this service maybe at two o'clock in the morning on Tuesday, and they're just as much part of the fellowship of the church as anybody else, though I can't figure out why you'd be watching at two o'clock in the morning on Tuesday. At any rate, let me... Um, put your minds at ease right now. The people whose faces you actually see behind me are the choir. I know you haven't seen them for a long time, but it's good to see you. And just a word of warning to the choir, we can see you yawn now while I'm preaching. Okay? I'm not looking at any of you specifically. <laughs> Friends, it's a joy to be together. Let us say to the Lord that we are here to worship Him as we read responsively now in our call to worship using the words of Psalm 3. O Lord, how many are my foes! Many are rising against me. Many are saying to me, there is no help for you in God. I lie down and sleep. I wake again, for the Lord sustains me. I am not afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Friends, let us worship the living God.
God, it doesn't matter if your sin is not as bad as you might assume someone else's is. At the foot of the cross, we all need Jesus for the same reason. We do not walk with God. We do not obey God. Thanks be to God, though. He invites us to confess our sins and be assured that he has indeed forgiven us. Let us join in prayer together with the prayer that is written in your bulletin. Eternal God, in whom we live and move and have our being, whose face is hidden from us by our sin, and whose mercy we forget in the blindness of our hearts, cleanse us from all our offenses and deliver us from proud thoughts and vain desires, that with reverent and humble hearts we may draw near to you, confessing our faults, confiding in your grace, and finding in you our refuge and strength. Through Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. Hear now these words of assurance. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever, i.e. everyone who believes in him, would not perish but have eternal life. Thanks be to God we are forgiven and we are renewed. Amen. Now may the peace of Christ be with you. You can actually really say the peace of Christ to people now. We're free, so please do that and then take it out with you, please. Years and years and years ago, before the pandemic, we all used to stand up and hug each other, and someday that's going to happen again, but some of us just couldn't resist. What can I say? <laughs> Friends, let me share with you just a bit about what's going on in the life of our church family these days, and let me mention that we are now receiving a special offering that is going to go to relief efforts in Ukraine and the countries around Ukraine for all of the obvious reasons. We are very blessed through excuse me, through our relationships with the Outreach Foundation to have direct connections with congregations and schools and other Christian ministries, not only in Ukraine, but in Poland, in Lithuania, in other countries around that region. And in just a week or so, several members of our outreach staff are going to be going to Poland and Lithuania. And so your offerings now will go directly to those congregations and to those ministries uh, to help help primarily with refugee relief. So let me encourage you, uh, if you're prepared to give today, great. If not, there are all the other avenues available to you. But it's a wonderful opportunity for us to show our love and concern in very tangible ways uh, for hurting people in that part of the world. Let me tell you as well that next Sunday, Following this service, we're going to have another chat with Jack. These are occasional opportunities for you to visit with me about the sermon and about other issues and things that come up in your minds as you hear Sunday morning sermon. Next week, I'm going to be speaking about those who appeared in the Passion Story that represent the government, if you will, uh, a governor, uh, a Roman soldier. And we'll talk about the implications of that sermon uh, for our lives 
lives today in terms of warfare, in terms of justice, in terms of government. So if you'd like to be part of that ongoing conversation and merely have a chance to tell me all the things that I should have said in my sermon and all the things that I should not have said in my sermon, then this is your opportunity. That's uh, next Sunday right after church. On Sunday, the 27th of March, we're going to welcome one of our Outreach Foundation directors, Marilyn Borst, who specializes in our relationships with churches in the Middle East and with Cuba. Marilyn will be preaching both services and then also speaking at a chat with Marilyn, I guess you might call it, uh, following this second service. So you have a chance to visit with her uh, about the work of the foundation and especially about what's going on in the church in those regions of the world. This Saturday, we're going to gather at 3 o'clock in the chapel to celebrate the long and beautiful life of Harriet Baldwin, who recently went to be with the Lord. Harriet was almost 100 years old, and she packed them with a great deal of beauty and grace, and so we'll be celebrating her this Saturday. And finally, let me mention that the flowers that we have in worship this morning are from Ursula Kuster in memory of her husband, Dieter, who a couple of years ago went to be with the Lord as well. So we're thinking of all these things as we are gathered as family, and we are now also thinking about all the ways we can participate with God in his work in the world. We are coming to that time of offering. As we hear some beautiful music, I invite you to bring your offering forward to the baskets that are here in the sanctuary. We also have one at the back of the sanctuary for those of you who would like to go there or drop your offering off as you're leaving. And if you're ready to give in some of the other avenues, please feel free to do so. But in all of those things, let's remember that we are giving back to the one who has given us all. God bless.
us join our hearts together first in a pastoral prayer, and then I will invite you to join me in the Lord's Prayer. Let us come before the throne of God's grace and pour out our hearts to the Lord. Holy, gracious God, guide us in our prayers and in this season of Lent as we walk with your Son, Jesus. Be with all who lead and all who serve and all the baptized around the world. Be with us all along the Lenten journey so that we may discover your true glory in Christ's saving cross. Holy God, guide the nations to peace. Plant your justice in the hearts and minds of world leaders and strike down the evil work of aggressors. Grant discernment to peacemakers and peacekeepers, especially those in armed services and public office. Establish your just and lasting peace among all peoples. Our hearts are torn and broken, Lord. We long for peace and see ravage. We long for justice and feel ill-equipped to change the circumstances of the savage attack, especially on the people of Ukraine. Holy God, guide your children in need, whatever their hurt or hopes. Move us in faith to mend the broken, tend the wounded, comfort the grieving, and sustain your beloved poor. Bless the tithes and offerings today, Lord. Multiply our special offering for Ukraine. Let us continue to be generous in the days and weeks to come. Lord, we ask protection for our mission partners on the ground in Ukraine and those helping in Poland and Lithuania. Be with the mission partners, outreach foundations, scholar leaders, World Vision, all of whom are part of our ministry here at church. We pray for our nation, Lord. Call us to be unified, one voice for righteousness, one voice for service to others, and a voice of hands and hearts moving together to give whatever is needed. Open our eyes to your presence, fill our hearts with your compassion, and direct our lives in service. Holy God, hear our prayers for the needs and names on our hearts this day for those in our congregation who are suffering physically, for those suffering from isolation or who are grieving. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Guide this household of faith. Fill our Pastor Jack this morning with your Holy Spirit afresh as he brings the word. May all he says bring us closer to you and closer to reflect your kingdom on earth in all we do. Form us anew as companions, citizens, servants, and saints. Bind us together. Lord, we ask all these things with a prayer that your Son taught us, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Stand with me now, and together let us give our full attention to the reading and the hearing of God's Word as we find it recorded in the 26th chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, in whose house the scribes and the elders had gathered. But Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest, and going inside, he sat with the guards in order to see how this would end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were looking for false testimony against Jesus so that they might put him to death, but they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last, two came forward and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. The high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer? What is it that they testify against you? But Jesus was silent. 
Then the high priest said to him, I put you under oath before the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has blasphemed. Why do we still need witnesses? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your verdict? They answered, He deserves death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Today we are taking a few more yellowed photographs out of the family album, a scrapbook, maybe you would call it, that tells us about those events, those people that populated the story of the passion of Jesus. Just like we do with any old photograph, we gaze into the faces of these people. We try to remember who they were and what they were like and what their lives were all about and, and maybe come up with some new insight into what their lives were and how their lives might speak something to us today. And so let's take a look at three categories of people, if you will, and one person in particular. Let's talk about the elders and the scribes and the priests, especially the high priest Caiaphas, who figures so prominently in the story of the end of Jesus' life. But let's talk about the elders first. How many of you are ordained elders in the Presbyterian Church? Good, you're very brave to raise your hands right now. <laughs> That's okay. That's great. That's great. The elders as a group within Judaism got their start actually very early on. You might remember the story from the Exodus of how when Moses led the people out of Egypt and through the Red Sea and out into the wilderness, that after a time, he was simply overwhelmed with the responsibility of leadership. There were thousands of people now living a radically different life, and they had questions, they had disputes, there were things that needed to be decided. And we are told at one point that Moses was staying up 24-7 just to deal with all of the problems that came to him. And so his father-in-law said, to him, Moses, you need to appoint other people to help you to administrate this huge community that are living out here in the wilderness. And so Moses took Jethro's advice and he appointed what we understand to be the first elders of the church, wise people, people with experience, people with some sense of respect within the community. And over time, they began to be part of the, the part and parcel of, of Jewish cultural life. In Jesus' time, there was a subgroup within the governing council of Judaism. 
That council was called the Sanhedrin. There was a subgroup that were made up of some of the elders of the people. But there are elders all throughout Judaism, elders out in the local communities, people from those communities who helped to adjudicate disputes and helped sometimes to teach the scriptures and basically just were the, the wise leaders in their communities. One of the stories we're told about Jesus' ministry from earlier on before the Passion is that some of the elders from the town of Capernaum came to Jesus and said, Jesus, our local Roman centurion has a problem that we think you can help him out with. And he's a great guy, actually. He's been very benevolent to us. So would you, on behalf of our request, come and help him out? That's the role that sometimes the elders played. They were important interpreters and enforcers, if you will, of the traditions and the laws of Judaism. And they figured prominently in every community of all sizes. That's who the elders were. And, and in many respects, elders still function in the same way, to help lead and to help serve and to be the wise part of the community that helps the community thrive. And then there were the scribes. This elders and scribes are not mentioned by name in the, the brief story that we just read. But we know that the scribes also were very important in Jewish culture. Literally, the word for scribe means a man of letters, a person who can actually understand letters and write letters, who can understand language and write language and read language. We know how important it is to anyone's personal success to be able to read and write. And in a culture where very few people actually can read and write, we can see how important those scribes were. They started off in some sense as public secretaries, if you will. If you needed something written down, you would go to one of the scribes. Most importantly, the scribes were those who copied the law and other manuscripts that were used in the, the religious life and the political life of Israel. And over time, because they were the ones who read and wrote these important documents, they became interpreters and authorities about those documents, about the law and the tradition and the history of Israel. By the time of Jesus, the scribes had developed a very complicated system of tradition and legal precedent that they believed would help to ensure for the proper application of the law. Now, the law was not just the Ten Commandments and the other commandments that flowed out of that. For the Jews, the law was everything about their history and their tradition, especially as it was described and written down in the first five books of what we would call the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so we can see how the scribes played a very important role in, in being the, the keepers of the history and the law and the tradition. Many, many years before Jesus, about 500 years before Jesus, when some of the Israelites who'd been taken off to Babylonian exile came back into Israel, a famous scribe named Ezra. You might remember Ezra from the Old Testament. Ezra read from the Old Testament law to the people and they remembered what their history was. And so just like the Pharisees and just like the elders, the scribes were defenders and keepers of the tradition and the law. 
Sometimes they were called rabbi, actually. Rabbi is a very respectful term. Rabbi is the one who teaches. And, and the scribes genuinely attempted to guide Israel as it tried to follow in that sinless life that, that honors God and that helps the, the people of God thrive as they obey the law of God. And then there were the priests. You remember, of course, that much of Israel's religion in the time of Jesus was centered on the temple in Jerusalem and the system of worship and sacrifice that happened in the temple and the many, many priests who made that system work. Specifically, we hear in this passage about Caiaphas, the high priest. Caiaphas, we know, was the high priest in Israel from 18 to 37, during the time of Jesus' adulthood and, of course, the time of Jesus' death. Caiaphas had done something that a lot of people in the priestly class did in his day. He had married the daughter of another priest. And Caiaphas married not just the daughter of any priest, but the daughter of a high priest. Annas was his father-in-law. Annas was the high priest from the year 6 to 15. And Caiaphas married his daughter. And it was customary for high priests then, as they appointed other priests and as they provided for the succession of the next high priest to come, that they would appoint their sons and their sons-in-law. There were actually eight high priests that came from the family of Annas and Caiaphas. They were a political and religious dynasty. So Caiaphas, as all high priests, also had the responsibility of overseeing everything that happened in the temple. And the temple, in addition to being a, a major religious enterprise, was also a major business enterprise. The high priest appointed all the other priests and he gave out the job of selling sacrifices and exchanging money so people could buy sacrifices. He gave out those jobs in a system that we would today describe as political patronage. It was big business when people came from outside of Israel to exchange their money and, oh, by the way, take a little bit off the top. It was big business when people came to the temple and needed an unblemished dove or lamb or some grain to sacrifice to buy that from the people in the temple. And so being the high priest, being in the family of the high priest, being a good friend of the high priest was a lucrative thing. That's why Jesus was so upset when he came into the temple in that famous scene and he overturns the tables of the money changers because he sees how what is meant to be a religious and spiritual and nurturing experience of the people as they worship and sacrifice has turned into just another big business to take money from the people and put it into the hands of the few. It is possible today in Jerusalem to visit the house of Caiaphas. 
It's been excavated, and there are some who are not absolutely certain that it's the right place, but most are. Caiaphas lived in a magnificent estate. He himself was very wealthy. He himself was very powerful. Not only was he the religious leader of Israel, but in many respects was also one of the important political leaders along with the king. And so Caiaphas had a huge responsibility to lead the people in their worship of God, but of course the story is told about how he failed in that regard. Let's go back though. Let's think about the elders and the scribes and the priests as a group of people. They fulfilled necessary functions in the society. They were important to the religious life of Israel. They were intended to bless the people, to be good for the people, to help the society function, to maintain the vitality and, and, and the usefulness of the people's faith in God. And there were some good scribes. There were some good elders. There were some good priests. We spoke earlier in this series about Nicodemus, who was a member of the Sanhedrin and a, and a follower of Jesus. We spoke about Joseph of Arimathea. But there were problems. Here's the problem. All of these necessary leaders of the people of Israel were people. And therein lies the problem. Because every person that I've ever met is flawed, imperfect, incomplete, and prone to mistakes and failures. This is speaking of biblical times, of course. We don't have any of those problems today, do we? Let me mention four ways in which the leaders of the faith in Jesus' day failed because of their humanity. The leaders of Jesus' day misused their power. They had political power, economic power, legal power over the people's lives. They were intermediaries between God and the people, and the people looked up to them as those who knew what faith was all about and faithful living was all about. And the leaders used that power over the people to get their own way, to line their own pockets, to ensure their security and safety at the risk of everyone else's. That still happens in religious leadership today. It is true now, especially in Western societies, that much of the political and legal and economic power that religious leaders once had has been taken away. But there still is a moral authority, the authority of speaking and being listened to that can be misused. Think about it. I doubt that there's any other context in your lives where you voluntarily go and sit and listen to one person speak for 20 minutes. 
You give that person a certain power in your life to shape your thinking and to shape your being and to shape your doing. And I love that power. <laughs> it's scary as all get out, isn't it? Here's another problem with leaders. It's the problem of the love of money. As I mentioned, the temple was a very lucrative business in Jesus' day. And people sought the roles of religious leadership so that they could get a piece of the action. I don't know many people today who go into ministry or try to become religious leaders in order to line their pockets, but there are some. And there are plenty of examples in our history and other places in the world still where being a religious leader ensures your financial security and your financial success. I know of places in this country still where religious leaders ask for tens of millions of dollars to buy them a new airplane so they can fly around the world and do God's work. I'm happy with the car you provide for me. <laughs> Here's another problem in religious leadership, and that is the love of prestige and position. Have you noticed that people like to be noticed? They like to be adored and honored and given first place. In Jesus' day, the religious leaders, many of them, especially those who mostly opposed him, they were self-centered, self-serving, power-grubbing, narcissistic people. It was all about them. And in our day, that happens in the church, too. In the church. It's very interesting in this little community where our church exists to be a pastor who's been around for a while and sometimes walk into a room of people at the club or at the post office or almost any place else in town and people recognize you and shake your hand and give you a hug. That usually just means they're getting ready to complain about something, but the, the, the attention is kind of interesting, right? In our day, there are people who love to be called pastor, who love to know that they're holier and more religious than anybody else in the room. <laughs> if any of you would like to come kiss my ring after church, you're welcome to do that. <laughs> Here's the fourth problem, the last one that I'll mention, and that is that religious leaders sometimes fail by failing to teach the people about what religion actually is. That was probably the greatest failure of all among the scribes and the elders and the priests, is that they had grown so accustomed to their power and their position, they had grown so accustomed to a system that they propagated and maintained that served their own needs that they had forgotten about who God really was 
and what God really wants for his people. And that's really what got Jesus into trouble. Jesus called the people to return to true faith and true faithfulness. He taught them what their faith had always taught, but which they rarely heard from their leaders about the need for justice in society, about the need for mercy and forgiveness among people, about the call for us to be humble and loving people. Jesus called the Jewish people to return to what their traditions and their laws were all about and then to adjust their thinking and their being and their doing so that they were living out the true intent of that tradition and that history. Jesus called the people to move deeper than just the rituals and habits and empty exercises that the priests and the other leaders thought were so important. Jesus called the people to look at the results of their own lives and the condition of their community and understand the corruption and the decay and the dysfunction as the result partly of bad leadership. The leaders had lost their primary purpose of being the servants of the people and living out the spirit of the law and the tradition. The leaders had become blind to where God was truly at work, and they had become deaf to the voice of God speaking through the scriptures and the history and even the voice of people. They had become so filled with themselves that there was no room for God anymore. We could go on. But for now, let's note that the failure of the leaders to recognize the Messiah the leader was a failure that led to his death, the killing of the Son of God. But even that God used for good, for blessing, and for salvation. And so whether in the church or anywhere else leaders exist, but especially in the church, we must always remember that there is really only one leader who truly counts. Only one who is the model for us all. Only one that all people of the church, leaders or not, are called to emulate. Only one who shunned all worldly power, all worldly prestige, all worldly position and wealth so that he could give himself even his body and his blood for us. We remember these things then as we come to the table, to the table where we remember that the leader of all creation, the Son of God, came to sit at a table with us and give himself to us so that we might understand the love and forgiveness and fellowship of God. Come, then, to the table. We are reminded in Scripture that on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, and having blessed it, he broke it, saying, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
Let us take up our cups and look for the bread and open it and eat with me. In the same way, Jesus took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the sign of the new covenant sealed in my blood. Whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the saving death of the Messiah until he comes again. Let us partake of the cup together. Pray with me. Lord God, we thank you for this supper that we have shared in the spirit that we have shared because of your gift to us, your gift of being our servant and therefore our leader, your gift of nourishing us and strengthening us, of correcting us and guiding us in the ways that we might serve each other and serve you and thereby bring about a new manifestation of the kingdom that we have known in your Son that is present in his life and that is coming as we follow him. Bless us for the sake of his sacrifice. Amen.
all leaders, whether in the church or not, are given great responsibility to be a blessing to those whom they lead. Therefore, we must pray for our leaders because they are only human. We must pray for their wisdom. We must pray for their courage. We must pray for their ability to lead in times of great distress, times of great prosperity, to lead in times that are confusing and dangerous and tragic. We must not only pray for our leaders, but we must hold them accountable. And then we must hold ourselves accountable to be the kind of followers who follow only good and wise leaders and not the other kind. No one, no one escapes the responsibility of participating in the business of leadership in the world, whether you are a leader or a follower or both. We must depend on the healing and renewing presence of a loving God to save us from ourselves so that we might do his will in the world. Pray for your leaders. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and always. Let God's people say together, Amen. Amen. Thank you.